Hey everyone and welcome to the Woofing Possum podcast, the canine podcast for you, the pooch parent and the dog daft. I'm your host Greg, I'm a dog trainer based up in the northeast of England and my company is called Great Paws. So, whether you're having a cuppa and snuggling with your dog, out walking your dog, training your dog or maybe in your caravan driving your dog somewhere, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us, so let's dive into the next episode. Hey everyone and welcome to this episode of the Woofing Possum Podcast. Before I dive in and let you know who we've got with us this week, I just want to say a massive thank you to, well, firstly, a special listener who took time out of their day to nominate me for the Animal Star Awards, specifically in the category of Best Pet Podcast. This was their 2020 awards, which was a little bit delayed due to COVID, and uh, just over a week ago, we had the awards ceremony night. I was shortlisted as a finalist, and I received a highly commended award, um, which (laughs) is kind of still blowing my mind. Um, That is phenomenal. I never thought that the Wolf in Boston podcast, especially even in its first year, let alone ever, uh, would receive a nomination for award, let alone get f- kind of shortlisted and, and come away with something. So uh, to that listener, thank you so, so much for, for doing that. It's absolutely made my year so far. It's been a phenomenal achievement. So yeah, just a huge, huge thank you. If you are in the UK and you do use the services um, of, of pretty much anyone in, in the pet industry, so it might be a groomer, a vet, um, independent retailer, a trainer, you might listen to podcasts, um, walkers, daycares, just basically anything to do with the pet industry. Um, if you love that company, that person, what they do for you, then head on over to the Animal Star Awards website. Uh, drop it in Google. If you're based in the UK, you can go and make a nomination for this year's awards. Now, regardless of whether that person makes the finals or, or comes away with anything, honestly, guys, it doesn't matter because to be nominated, that is just mega. And it just helps everyone out there know that there's people that they work with who really do appreciate what they do and kind of love them and want to acknowledge that they are amazing in their particular field. So if you can spare five minutes, guys, head on over to the Animal Star Awards website Go and nominate people who you love to work with. They will be so overwhelmed and so chuffed and it really will just lift their spirits and continue to drive them to to be the best they can be. So, yeah, just thanks again, guys. Totally, totally made up. But I suppose I should get back to the podcast. Um, And this week we do have a special guest again and it's the amazing Jack Fenton and he's come to talk to us all about kind of nose work and scent work with our dogs, which was a brilliant chat. I really hope you enjoy it. So let's crack on. Hey, Jack. Hello. How are you doing? I'm not bad, thank you. How are you? I'm really good, Matt. I'm really good. And I'm super excited to uh, to talk to you about all things nose work. It's, um, but before we, we dive into that, mate, I thought, well, obviously people need to know who you are. So do you want to give yourself a bit of an introduction? Yeah, sure. No worries. So I'm Jack. I'm the Dorset dog trainer. So I'm obviously based down in Dorset. 
and I specialize in mainly nose work. So I work with plenty of dogs who I teach to use their nose for a variety of different things. So uh, while I also do stuff like puppy classes and life skills classes and do behavioral work with dogs that might be reactive, there's not really any one thing I do that doesn't have a nose work slant. Um, so yeah, I also do online classes and things as well. So that's kind of what I'm most known for, I would say, and what I enjoy doing the most as well. So, And you've got a little sidekick, I think, that you do this work with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he actually started my nose work journey with me. But um, yeah, so I've got Kevin. So he's going to be four in May. Oh, my God. So he's four. Uh, four-year-old French bulldog, uh, which isn't a breed you typically see doing anything, let alone nose work, because uh, they don't have one. <laughs> no, but um, it's one of those things where my work with him really inspired me to kind of talk about nose work more, because it is a really universal thing, as we'll get into, I'm sure, a really universal kind of dog sport and, and thing that any dog can do. So no, yeah, he's a good lad. And we've competed and he's done all of my um, instructor's courses with me as well. So he's, he's been my little sidekick throughout all this. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, I'm, I must admit, when it comes to Noah's work, I'm, I'm a bit of a novice, hence why I thought speaking to an expert would be much more beneficial for, uh, for the purpose of podcast. But I suppose for, for, the, for, for those who don't really kind of know what it is, what it looks like, how it can work, can you give us a bit of insight into kind of what is Noah's work and what kind of, um, kind of flavors and titles of it kind of come about? Sure, absolutely. So nose work really is just getting your dog to use their nose in a constructive fashion to find what's known as a target scent. And a target scent can be anything that smells, right? So if, for example, you hide a single treat in your living room and you get your dog to go and find it, that's nose work. Yeah. If you teach your dog to find something scented with clothes, like I do in my scent work class, that's nose work. If you teach your dogs to track human scent to find a glove, that's nose work. Search and rescue is nose work. Yeah. So all of these things come under that umbrella of nose work. And um, because I think when people hear nose work, they tend to focus on kind of either the really, really structured stuff like the classes I provide and things, or they go, they kind of sit there and go, oh my God, well, my dog can't do this, that, and the other. But actually nose work is literally just getting your dog to use their nose to find something. So when we think about the stuff that we do with our dogs day to day, you're probably already doing some form of nose work in some capacity already. So if you ever throw a tennis ball into a bush and your dog has to go and find it, congratulations, your dog is a nose work dog because they're going <laughs> and finding that tennis ball and they might be looking for the human scent on it, their saliva, whatever it is, and then bringing it back to you, yeah? So in terms of how nose work tends to be structured, and there are three main elements of anything nose work related. There's searching, which is what it sounds like, right? How confident is a dog searching in different environments? How thoroughly do they search? Um, you know, what can and can't they do with it? some of their physical limitations, maybe things like that. Scent ID, which is discriminating the scent that they're looking for in the environment. Yeah. So that can be, again, really dependent, can theoretically be anything, but it's about how good are they sourcing it? Yeah. And finding yeah, it. Yeah. And an indication is just the behavior the dog does when they find the scent. And again, every type of nose work has an indication. A common indication might be eating. If your dog finds a bit of cheese and eats it, that's an indication. They've done a behavior <laughs> and they found it. Um, other indications are stuff like sits and downs, uh, a nose freeze, which is when the dog kind of targets something with their nose and hovers. That's very common in drug detection work and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, other is a retrieve. So that might be actually bringing an object back. Um, if you're working with search and rescue, man trailing, something like that, the dogs will go and find the victim, the missing person, come back and then do a behavior. So it might be uh, tugging a tug toy on your belt. It might be barking. It might be a sit. And then they'll lead you back in and maybe do another indication. So that's it at its most general level. 
um and it's awesome <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it is and i think just as you were talking about some of the the applications of it there i, I think certainly i do i kind of you forget how versatile and how mm. That, that spectrum of things that a dog can do. I mean, it, it's an incredible sense that I think we always often dismiss of how good dogs' noses are. Um, but to see, like you say, those applications from just what we would class as playing a game with the tennis ball or to something real kind of hardcore, like, you know, finding kind of lost and found people, victims, yeah. mountain rescue, whatever, or drug detection dogs that you see on the telly and that kind of thing, that it's such a spectrum. But to think it is all ultimately rooted in nose work is... Uh, yeah, it's 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 an exciting kind of a Pandora's box that I don't think a lot of us really tap into. No, and the thing is, the reason that we don't tap into it really, I, in my opinion, is that we, you know, to to make a comparison about how powerful the average dog's nose is, if their ability to scent was our was the equivalent to our ability to see. So if we took how good they were at that and made it our eyesight, we would be able to see a stop sign on the moon. Wow. right so and so that's just the average dog i'm not talking about dogs that have done training that's the average dog so dogs noses are their superpower it's how they process the world and what we do as people is because we can't process it we'll never be able to actually properly understand how it works ever because we, we're not in it we don't live it yeah. um because that's their superpower to not tap into it we are leaving 50 percent 60% whatever of what we could be doing with our dogs which is why it influences everything that we do anyway general example um lots of people when we're talking about getting dogs used to um or anxious dogs excuse me getting used to people right one of the main things that we will focus on is feeding them and things like that right and that's absolutely fine um i do a concept called a scent square which is basically where i will pick a patch of ground I will shuffle my feet along that air ground and I'll drop some treats. Okay. The dog goes into that scent square. I've left. The dog goes into that scent square, eats. They quite quickly realize where's the food? Well, it's where the human scent is. In about three scent squares, because I a lot of the dogs I work with in my tracking classes are an example, are reactive to people. Yeah. Um, three, three of those, no interaction with me, no actual play, nothing like that, no feeding or, you know, from me or anything like that. They're fine with me. All because my scent leads to good things. So if you think about how quickly, I mean, you know yourself working with reactive dogs, you know how quickly and how long that can take to actually get your dog used to that. Yeah, That's yeah, been yeah. the quickest way, one of the quickest ways of changing it. So when we think about changing associations with environments, people, anything like that, nose work is the route I go down because that's how they're going to mainly process us anyway. And that scary thing anyway, uh, on my man trailing instructors course and man trailing is just on need search and rescue as a very generic kind of overview of it. Um, they talked about a human reactive German shepherd doing a trail. So going and finding a missing person through a train station. Now, if you think about the logistics behind that, the yeah. idea that like a German shepherd, big German shepherd, people reactive. Yeah. And we know shepherds, as you know, yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. like, they love their voices. Um, Going through a train station because a lot of nose work, especially the more constructed stuff. So teaching them to find a specific scent, whatever that is, um, that sole focus is the main driver. They'll go and do that. Everything else in the environment isn't, I call it graying out. So it isn't the idea that it's not there, but everything else, the one thing that has color is yeah. the job. And that's the main focus point, but everything around it gets a positive association as well. So it's got that double-ended thing of giving your dog a job, getting them to use their nose, and also the environment that they're in, their association with it changes. So that's that's phenomenal. And, and, and it was one of the questions I was going to ask is kind of some of the benefits. And I think that's a fantastic example of kind of 
how to use that. I know with um, so my Betty Boo, my reactive German Shepherd, um, she when she first came to us, she was so alert constantly. She, she her nose never ever touched the floor, and I remember having that moment of realizing that she was starting to sniff like on walks and we were promoting it with probably what was very, very crude version of your scent square when I first started out with it. And, um, and now like her, her, uh, Hugo, bit of context. He's again, not trained for nose work, but his nose is phenomenal. Always surprised me the things he finds, where he finds them, uh, whether I want them to find him or not. <laughs> he's got a brilliant, but she's starting to surpass him now. And in the past six, eight months, kind of the amount she's just constant, that real, that, that, I call it that deep sniff, that really kind of, that kind of really yeah. taking everything in, rather than those little quick kind of skim sniffs. She does these really deep, snotty nose sniffs. Mm. Um, and, and that change now is really helped me work with her around other dogs because, yeah, that kind of job to do, it's, she, you know, as you mentioned that association kind of looking at the environment taking stuff in but then looking for that job to do as a result of seeing those environmental triggers to go right i know what that means i'm gonna get my nose on the ground hunt for some treats do whatever it is that we're gonna do so in a, <clears throat> excuse me in a reactive dog I've, I've i've you know i've seen the benefits of even my crude rudimentary use of it so doing it through a, a structured platform i imagine could be incredible yeah, man, you know, and I think that that, you know, you talk about it being crude. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's crude, um, but that shows that even if we if we took that argument, that was crude, right? How effective that was. So if you imagine taking that and making that a main focal point for any dog, you know, we've talked a lot about reactive dogs, any dog, puppies, um, you know, un unconfident puppies isn't a big one. Just generally unconfident dogs, uh, overseas rescues, uh, bouncy adolescents, you know, whatever it is that we're trying to do with it, the, the benefits to not do nose work doesn't make sense because like there's not a single dog that I've worked with. You know, I've done it with puppies as young as nine weeks old and dogs as old as 20 in some capacity. So there's not really and any breed, you know, I've talked Kevin's a French bulldog and on our scent work instructors course, we searched the plane, which was mental that we got to search a plane, but you've got these people with their Labradors and their Malinois and all this stuff. And they've got these big steps up along the aeroplane. And I look down at Kevin like, right. And I pick him up and we go up and we, you know, so you know, and and that's the other cool thing is the universality of it. Yeah. Like you, you could literally any of your, your clients that you're thinking of right now, I don't need to know anything about them. They can do it. Right. They can, they can do it. doesn't matter. And whatever we're talking about, are there physical constraints? Yeah, sure. Right. So we would need to think about indications, for example, is a big one. So if you have yeah. a dog who might have hip dysplasia or chronic back issues or bad neck or whatever it might be, the repetitiveness of that indication we would need to think about and go, oh, okay, is that going to be fair to keep doing that? But that doesn't mean that we can't modify it. Yeah. You know, you could theoretically do any form of nose work with any dog, provided they were physically fit enough to do so. And physically fit is, you know, if your dog is 18 and is slower, awesome. Doesn't matter. If your dog is a young bouncy puppy who doesn't quite have control of any of their legs, awesome. That's fine. Um, it would just be about ensuring, like with any type of training that we do, that we don't push the dog too much and understand their limitations yeah absolutely and as, as, again I, I suppose it can be very easy to, to to pull yourself into those extreme examples like say searching a plane i mean that sounds that sounds immense and yeah. I, I imagine there'll be a lot of people going well i don't want to search a plane with my dog <laughs> it's uh, probably a bit, bit too much to do on a weekend but it's as, i suppose kind of the other application of it i think you touched on it kind of right at the start there around that that kind of just hiding treats around the house and starting to make just elements of 
day-to-day life, feeding, training games, even like you say, even that has immense benefits for your dog without taking it to that kind of sports stroke discipline extreme. Sure, absolutely. I mean, you know, stuff like scatter feeding, free work, you know, all of those things that I can get into are all beneficial anyway. Yeah, like they are the easiest things to do because you literally handful of food, scatter some food out in the grass, go eat it or your garden, wherever, go eat it. Awesome. Your dog's using their nose. They're eating the food. It's great. But I, I say making it more complex. It isn't really. But just saying I'm going to teach my dog to find a specific brand of cheese. Yeah. and doing that and putting that out and getting the dog to actively just search for that and that's the only thing um is nose work yeah that 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 is what we do the only difference between that and say some of my scent work classes is that they don't eat it when they find it and it's a different <laughs> scent but it's still the same concept all those foundations of learning to search and be confident focusing and finding having an intense focus on something intense sniffing um problem solving all of those benefits and all of those kind of things we'd want to build into young dogs adolescent dogs whatever it might be you were working with um are still there you know it doesn't matter they don't I, my big rule with any form of nose work is complexity is a killer I don't do complex. So even when I'm talking about my general scent work classes, as an example, right? Lots of scent work classes and nothing wrong with any of this. It's not what I'm saying at all, but they will have like plumbing and pipes, right? And they'll have um, really big setups and they will have boxes and they'll have all these things that you need to get, which is awesome and nothing wrong with that and, and useful and beneficial. Um, my, the setup that you would need to do my scent work classes, you would need my dogs on clothes. That's what I train them, but any scent really. Uh, a kiln a jar, Cut up cotton buds, metal tweezers. That's it. That's all you need. And based, oh, and sorry, and a coin for any right. indicator. That's it. So five things. Um, and because nose work is super accessible to dogs, it should be accessible to people too. Yeah. Um, and the thing that we do with nose work is we go, as people, we go, right, well, um, we're going to start our dogs off learning a new skill. Yep. And the traditional training of thought in dog training is naturally easy as possible. Yeah. So we go, right, well, uh, I'm going to make it really easy for me. So I'm going to have a massive amount of cloves that you can smell in the other room. And I'm going to have, or if I'm going to hide food, I'm going to get a block of cheese and I'm going to pop it in the corner and all of these things. And actually there's nothing wrong with that, but I, I have a saying that sometimes it's easier to go from hard to easy than easy to hard. Yeah. So what oh, I yeah. teach the dogs to do is our dogs will find a tiny cotton bud scented with a single clove, which for us isn't very smelly for them. It is. Yeah. And we work on those foundations and basics. And what the dogs learn is that intense sniffing you were talking about earlier with Hugo. That's what happens there. So the dogs learn to search thoroughly and they learn to search intensely. Now, with a big amount of scent, you can theoretically get your dog searching your garden in your living room. Oh, God, a week, maybe. You know, hypothetically, right? They could go work in that. And that's awesome and cool. But the benefits that I see when it's a small amount of scent, the intensity level, the drive, the focus are so much better. So when nose work is one of the only things that I'll say, you know, when I teach tracking, we, I teach track, dogs to track for a coin, right? right? Doesn't hold a lot of scent. So human scent on the coin, sorry, not just the coin. Um, yeah. Not a lot of scent is held on there. But I would much rather spend time on those foundations and build those foundations up and make them more complex than go easier because our dog's noses are good. They're great. They're awesome. Any adjective you want to throw at them. If we make it easy, the drive and the need 
isn't there. The intensity isn't there. And what I want with any type of exercise is that sniffing that you talked about, right? I want to be able to pop a hide out of anything, food, whatever. And I want my dogs to go and I want to hear them and I want to see them working it. And I want their everything else to gray and that color to kind of appear and they're working that room. So don't be, some people I think are put off by some of the stuff they see in social media where they go, oh my God, I've got to blow plumbing and I've got to stick it to wooden boards and I've got to do this, that and the other. You don't need to. At the most complex, as I've said, five things. At the least complex, a type of cheese or a quaver or whatever, if we're talking about food, you know? Yeah. That's a, that's a bit. So am I right in thinking then kind of with, the, with that style and that approach that you do, because you've you've kind of started with a... Um... What's, what's the word I'm looking for? That kind of more intense, small amount of scent. Sure. Um, therefore, your your complexity changes are more environmental then rather than the size of the scent that you're searching for. Is that kind of the logic that yeah, you're yeah, working yeah. on? So, so scent work is all about environment. Yeah, absolutely. So my, you know, searching as an example, so the act of searching, we go, dogs are great at scent work, as I've said. So whatever, we don't focus on that a lot. But when we actually look at dogs, it's really interesting seeing how they solve a problem. So, for example, hugely common one, um, dogs jump up on sofas. Yeah. Yeah. Getting a dog to search a sofa is hard. So if you put something up atop or behind of a sofa, the dog will search under it in search. But dogs don't realize they can get up somewhere and search it unless you teach them. Some can. I'm not saying all can't, but hypothetically. Yeah, yeah. Um, some dogs are now scared of searching for things. So we could have a dog that can find money or whatever, or the best thing of all time. But if they won't stick their head in a box, right? And we say a box is a very general thing. I don't know, stick their head under a car or whatever, yeah. and they're confident doing that. Well, we're not going to get to where we want to go with them. So, you know, it, everything is about environment. If I take a dog into an environment and they're uncomfortable and they don't know how to approach it, I suppose is a better turn of phrase, then we need to teach them to approach that. And that can be hiding a bit of food. It can be really easy exercises. It can be because the, the game itself is so rewarding inherently. The dogs love it so much. You know, when my students get a clove a kilner jar now and they unclip it, their dogs rush and they are like, <laughs> and, and you kind of, you look at it and you go, this isn't food. This isn't a toy necessarily. Sometimes it is, but normally it isn't a toy. It's a metal tweezer with a cotton bud that has the smell, a tiny amount of clove scent. And these dogs are acting as if you've just bought them a hamburger and you go, cool. So that drive and that association is so strong that once you practice in enough areas, the desire to find that smell is so addicting and so rewarding that they go ahead and they go, I'm going to go find it. And that's the joy of it is that searching is something we need to teach dogs. It's a skill. Yeah. In the exact same way that as people, you know, um, most people can walk and run. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but doesn't mean we could sprint or do a marathon we need to train it right so when when i'm teaching dogs i want to teach them that search because there's something there's a concept called search, search stamina excuse me yeah? yeah so how long can a dog search for an intense level um some dogs have brilliant search stamina because they go out tracking and they do all these things anyway some don't and that's the skill we need to teach so the complexity of scent work to me should not be the equipment that we use or the the idea, our idea of it going in, the complexity is in there already. That's why we start with such a small amount of scent because I would much rather have a dog go, right, I have a sofa and a bookshelf side by side. I'm going to search that intensely and you can hear it and you can see them working. And then they do that four or five times and they're dead to the world for a day. <laughs> Versus a dog who, you know, can go, can go and search a pot full of clothes or whatever in a room 
and search that entire room and they do it fairly casually and they find it and they get a reward. Not that there is anything wrong with that. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, lots of people teach it that way and really successful. It's just my, my, my goal with scent work, any form of nose work is focus and association. The yeah. best way to get focus is to build a positive association. And the best way to build a positive association is to have an intense focus on something. So I want that level wherever we are starting in the home. That's awesome. That's so cool. It's uh, it, it excites me because like I say it, it's not an area that I'm uh, that I'm overly proficient in either as just a general pooch parent as I refer to myself as or as a as a dog trainer. So later in the year maybe I might be, but uh, yeah, right now I'm kind of sat here going, hmm, wonder what I could uh, what I could do. But I think that's the amazing thing because with you know lockdown being being a classic example and obviously you know classes and so many things obviously being restricted and a lot of people's outlets with their dogs are um, are obviously restricted as a result as well and i think the bit you just touched on there was about that kind of the way that a, a dog will react after after kind of going through that training or whether they're you know the proficient in it and they're working it or whatever it is they're doing i do talk a lot to my clients about that kind of duration always trumps distance particularly with exercise and things like that you know kind of spending the time enjoying what you're doing letting your dog use its nose and all that kind of naturally is that's going to be much more beneficial for them anyway but then to channel that into a specific exercise as well that is you know that you can do in your home and i imagine every single room in your house is going to give you a, a slightly different dynamic and challenge with with your dog once i've kind of started to learn those uh, those concepts of searching Absolutely. Uh, difficulty is a really interesting one. You touched on it a little bit earlier because we as people view difficulty visually. So we view difficulty yeah. as, right, we will throw in three dogs as opposed to two, or we will throw in um, an aeroplane <laughs> or whatever it is, right? You know, whatever. Um, complexity in scent work is awesome. You can now search a room. Brilliant. Now I'm going to open the window. Try again. And that is complexity wind direction is complexity or i'm going to shut the windows i'm going to leave the radiator on for an hour so the room is warm try again because you see the way that scent travels is very different we can't perceive it so as an example i did a hide with kevin recently uh, and the and i hid it on the uh handle of the oven couldn't remember the word handle then the handle of the <laughs> oven and so what I did is I popped it on the right-hand side and I let him into the room of the kitchen for a kitchen search and he was working the room. And what he did was really interesting. He would go to, uh, and this was early on in his uh, career, um, it wasn't recently, but he went up to where that hide was and he sniffed it. So he was right on it. Yeah. And then he travelled along the edge of that handle, sniffing it, sniffing it, sniffing it, dropped down and indicated there by the corner of the oven. Now, when we think about that's what's known as a false indication, right? Right, yeah. Except it probably isn't false, yeah, because of the way scent travels. So it wasn't as if he was just going, sod it, I'll go down, because that's his indication, feed me. He was going, I think it's here. Now, we would go, it isn't there, you idiot, it's up on this handle, I can see it, damn it, and all these things. <laughs> but actually, the way that scent travels, we go, oh, so that's taught me that when I put something there, he follows that. Now there's stuff that I needed to train with him to do that, obviously, and work yeah, on yeah. it and improve it. But false is a wrong way of viewing it. We are wrong because he, he's probably right. Yeah. So another common thing that will happen is we'll pop, we, we as people leave, we'll pop a hide out. Dogs will do the hide. We'll pick up the hide. Good dog, go in. Next day, right, I'm going to do another hide. We'll go pop a hide out. Um, cue our dogs to go find it. I don't go straight back to where that old hide was an indicate. And we go, no, you idiot, it's not there anymore. But the scent's probably still there. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that residue's still there. Clove scent especially can take three to four days to properly dissipate, I think it is. Um, so they're not wrong because the goal is find the scent. Now we can get specific and go, well, no, we want you to find the source of the scent and all these things. But because we are so visual as a species, because yeah. we are so, you know, whether that is masses amount of cloves and we need to be able to smell it the room away so we can do it, or our dogs get it wrong visually, the, the nuance is lost. So it, it's like, we all have that dog who I, I say it all the time that, you know, you can teach your dog to find a penny in the woods. Or I remember one of my tracking dogs, um, I grabbed a stick from just the woodland, picked it up, did a track, dropped it. And he went and he indicated on the stick that I grabbed. Pretty cool, right? I think that's quite nice. Um, threw some food on the floor. Could he find the treats? Absolutely not. Spent ages looking for them. Now, the logic behind that is so stupid, isn't it? Because if I can teach a dog to find a coin in a car park or Kevin can search a plane yeah. and then I put, right, here's a treat, go catch it. And he's like, where? I'm like, what do you mean, where? Honey? Um, but that also leads into an interesting topic that the cells in the nose, they regenerate every 40 to 60 days right oh. so and what happens is that if the more sense that your or the let me rephrase that the sense that your dog accesses and builds associations with yeah. those cells regenerate more of them right yeah, so yeah. the more your dog focuses on a specific scent the more positive the association is or the bigger the association is and the better they are at finding it which is why if you can getting your dog to use their nose all the time means they are better at using their nose all the time that also explains why um, dogs have such when you do behavior modification with those when you're trying to change an association um, or when you know you just do general hiding for things uh, a bit of toy or whatever um, they get more excited and they get better without anything actually having occurred like if you watch some of my nose work dogs uh, or some of my behavior students, nothing has happened right? The, the day, the one week to the next week, some people don't do any training, whatever it is, the dog's a different dog. They're happy to see me. They're friendly. They're waggly. They're excited, whatever it is. And you kind of go, but nothing, have you changed? No, you know what's happened. And it's literally the cells have regenerated in their nose. There's more of those positive cells about me or the scent. Actually, they're better at finding it, making positive, whatever it is. And then overall, they're a lot happier. Wow. So, That's phenomenal. That's And, and again, yeah. without without kind of knowing that it's, it's, it's like you say, I suppose for us, it's I'm trying to think of some kind of human analogies, but I suppose it's like athletes and their kind of muscle fibers and things like that. And the more you do it, the more you use it, the more the body will then kind of create those yeah. things. So you become, you know, more elite at what you do. So yeah. it's kind of a bit of a, a nosy type uh, version of that. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I suppose a, a lot of the things you've talked about there, Jack is, for all it's absolutely amazing it can sound incredibly technical it can sound quite overwhelming yeah. i suppose to some people as well so if you're kind of a bit like me a bit of a novice not really sure of kind of where to go where to how to even start this kind of nose journey with your dog what would be kind of your your top tips for for kind of opening that pandora's box absolutely so i think i think it depends on what your goal is so if your goal is uh want to get my dog using their nose the best way to do that is food or toys yeah. So if you have a food driven dog, pick a specific, I prefer picking a specific type of food that I only use for the activities. So Sainsbury's cheddar, whatever. Um, I start really simply. So most people jump to getting the dogs to use their nose immediately. I found that that leads to a little bit of frustration. So what I'll do is I'll go, hey, doggy, here is a bit of cheese. Cheese is on sofa. Go get cheese. And they go, oh, wow. Okay. 
and then we repeat that a few times in different places. Then I will go and hide a little bit of cheese, but they'll see me hide it. So maybe I've got like a table and I'll go, I'm going to put this cheese out and I'll walk, pop it behind the table. So they can't see me physically put it down, but they've tracked me. They go, they're released. They go to where I was. They're not going to be able to find it. They can predict that cheese is going to be there. So what happens? Nose kicks in. Well, hey, find it. And again, I use a small bit of cheese. Yeah. So I'm not talking a massive amount just yeah. because I want that intensity. And then you would build up to going, right, you can see me pop it out. But this time I'm going to go pop it behind the table. But actually, I'm going to pop it on the bookshelf. Go find it. And they go and they work that area. Where is it? Nose kicks in. They find it. Yay, party time. They get the cheese. And you gradually build up that association. Eventually, you have them out the room and you let them in and they go and find the cheese. And literally, that's it. Like it's not, it, it doesn't have to be this really difficult, mystical thing of, you know, I'm not expecting anyone to go, right, I'm going to buy a plane <laughs> and we're going to go and have a party. It's literally, that's nose work. So don't get, don't get frustrated or upset and go, oh my God, you know, as you said, it sounds technical. It can be really technical. It's a nerdy thing in terms of getting into the science behind it, but you don't need to be nerdy to get it. It's literally scent, food, whatever, hide it. Another good one is toys. I, I like toys sometimes even better than I do food because I think the interaction is more with us. Depends yeah. what you want, more interaction with us. So again, similar thing. Um, dogs like tennis balls, balls and ropes, whatever. Um, you say, right, I've got this toy of yours. Go and pop it behind the table. Go find it. Because dogs have a bigger association with that. They'll go find it, bring it back, play with you, whatever it is. Then you would go, cool. Right, what we're going to do now is we're out on a walk. You wait there, buddy. I'm going to walk into these bushes, pop that, come back, release you. Dog goes, well, hey, goes in, starts searching for it brings it back party and you build it up like that. So there you've got, depending on what you want to do, if you pop them in a sit and a wait, as an example, and you yeah. walk it and you walk a specific way and you pop it down, you come back and you release them. Congratulations. Your dog will attract to it. Yeah. Well, if yeah. you, on the other hand, you've got some long grass and you go, here's the toy, lob it in and let them go. They're probably just going to search for that. Yeah. yeah so yeah. do a little bit of scent mark. So depends what your goal is and what you want to do, but that is the crux of it. All of those things. I have a game with Kevin that I call ducky which is we've got a toy duck and that's all I use it for. Uh, and I hide it and I say ducky and he goes and he finds it around the house and he brings it back. That's it. That's nose work. That's, that's just as I could get as deep and complex with that as I could with the clothes stuff, the actual yeah, yeah. competition stuff. Um, if I wanted to, but you don't need to. So anyone can do it. If your dog likes toys, but if they don't, they will like food, get them to search for their food and do that. That's awesome. That's awesome. I do know I, am. I, was, I was on a course pre COVID and seeing a practical application of nose work that was entirely selfish and it was quite um quite poignant for me because i'd done this very thing quite recently um the a gentleman i was with he'd um he had a, a keychain on his car keys um that had a scent and i'm not sure what the scent was that he'd trained his dogs he dropped it in the field that we were we were training in um couldn't find his key sent his dog away they go they found it and literally the week prior i'd lost my van keys on a dog walk, um, wandered the field, put the dogs back in the van, realised I'd lost the keys, couldn't put them back in the van. So here we were kind of literally retracing steps and doing all that kind of thing. Uh, somebody had picked them up and, and taken them. <laughs> but like instantly I was like, oh, if only I'd kind of been able to teach you to find my car keys, that would have been amazing. And such an, a, a less stressful time. And it's a, a selfishly practical application that would have really benefited me. But I imagine they, if they were trained in it, would have had a like a whale of a time trying to uh, do that kind of thing right and th and that's the cool thing about nose work as well is that we can use it to make situations that we find stressful less stressful and give them a job and a benefit to it so 
Um, a really fun game that families can play, for example, is hide and seek. Right. So if you're if you give, you know, I, I say child because a lot of young families, but give a child a bunch of food, get them to waggle it in the dog's nose. You hold the dog. They run off and hide. You let the dog go. That's the foundation for search and rescue training. And they go and they feed them. Right. So it's, it's all these things are really basic and not, you know, anyone can do them, which is any dog can do them. Any, any person can do them, which is awesome. Um, but as you say, having a specific scent you have on your keys. Great. You lose them. Go find them. I'm forever losing my keys. So it's, it's an awesome thing that Kevin will go and find human scent. And I'll go, right, go look for them, buddy. Um, and, you know, even talking about the practical applications for dogs as well. Like we've talked a lot about the, the active nose work as searching, right? An activity that they go and do. Um, we've talked a little bit about changing behavior, but another really good thing is if you build a positive association with a scent, any scent, um, you can use that as a calming mechanism. Yeah, so if you've got a dog that's scared of the car, don't like the car, don't like the vets, and you condition them so that, you know, whatever they smell, cloves, lavender, whatever, uh, calming pet spray or whatever, and you feed them, you know, you do that, you build that association. And that's another thing you can do as well if you've got a specific scent, build a, an association with it like that. So you just get the dog to smell it and then you could feed them or give them their breakfast or dinner or whatever it was. Um, you can then use that scent to calm them down and cause relaxation because they've got that positive association with it. So a very common thing that, Seems to be out of fashion now, actually. Um, someone in the 1980s used to do it. I can't remember who it was now, but um, he used to get the owners, he used to do with severe regression cases. He used to right. get the owners to, I think it was mainly lavender, smell lavender scent and feed them and feed them and feed them. And then he used to put lavender scent on his hands or on his wrists. So he'd go in like perfume and he'd go in and the dogs would be a lot calmer with him there because they've got that association. So wow. that's another thing you can do as well. If you just, you know, again, similar things to talk about that scent square, you could do it that way, theoretically. Have a, I've not experimented with it that much, but um, a specific scent that you get the dogs used to before you arrive or wherever, or people are coming over, whatever it is, and they go in and naturally they're going to get that scent. And because that is the primary way that they process stuff, that's going to move quickly, calm them down, calm their nervous system down. And then theoretically, we should be able to go, awesome, I feel a lot better. So that, uh, that that's absolutely kind of phenomenal because I, I think again the human side of it when we look at working with any dogs whether it's just kind of you know life skill type of stuff or whether it is kind of um, their reactions to environment and things like that I think given obviously we are that kind of force-free trainer you do spend a lot of time working on rewards whether they're food whether they're toys or anything like that and it's so easy to forget that primary sense and, and mm. the power that's there with with everything like you're saying they say calming behaviors. I've, I've spoken to a lot of people really about kind of cooperative care and vet visits and all that kind of stuff. And it's, um, yeah, instantly my brain's kind of now starting to pair. Oh, well, the last conversation I had with, with Katie about vet visits and some of the things to consider with dogs and now this conversation with you about kind of scent work and nose work and mm-hmm. starting to build that stuff. You can very quickly see how all of these things can, can naturally dovetail together and just enhance kind of your, your, your life with, with your dog. Yeah. I mean, Sent an emotional state, uh, an emotional state, excuse me, is interesting because we all know that one adolescent boy dog who goes down the park and he finds the smell of another male and he goes, Right then, lads, let's get rolling. <laughs> or vice versa, finds the smell of a lady yeah. and he does that. <laughs> thing. And he, gets, he gets a little bit excited. He's like, Yeah, that's going on, right? Um, and that scent, you know, it's just a scent. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. A pheromone um, causes a specific emotional state. Now, no evidence for this. This is just me purely spitballing. Um, I'm very curious about the idea of either 
I say a calm state and an aroused state, very hard to define those, but I know that, and I've experimented with this, where if you want to teach dog to settle, a good way of doing that is spraying a specific scent on a mat, going out, sitting with them, clipping lead on and waiting for them to go to sleep and repeating that. And then eventually that smell will mean settling and calming down, very similar to when we lay in bed, we can calm down. Vice versa, I think it'd be quite interesting if you had an agility dog or a sports dog or something where you needed a a type of arousal or arousing situation, whatever it is, you had a scent that you conditioned to specifically be about play or something and see the experience of that dog's arousal state. Because dogs get, you know, when we think about going back to uh, anxious and reactive dogs, you know, um, we, uh, some of my students will say, oh, um, you know, my dog is only reactive on site. Yeah. And you go, okay, but my student's dog just got out of the car all the way over there. No hearing, no sight. Your dog's body language has changed. They're stiffer. They're more alert. They're more. So therefore I'm going to make the assumption that actually the scent of that dog has hit their nose yeah. and already their behavior has changed. But again, we're people. So we go, nah, that's, that's like, put that in the bottom of our list. Let's look at the, the visual and all that. And all of those are very valid. But for me, if I'm going to change an association, if I want to create an emotional state, if I want to build confidence, whatever, my first port of call is nose work, not because I'm sat here going, well, hey, it's the best thing of all time, which I, I am actually, but that's not my point. It's that that's their first port of call too. That's the thing that's going to kick in first. Theoretically, it should do. That's what we want, whether they're anxious or afraid or getting excited because there's a gold dog or smelling for food or whatever it is, tracking something, hunting their nose is going to be the first thing they're going to go to. But on our priority list, we pop it down at the bottom. So we get this weird mishmash where we're kind of, and I'm not saying other other ways of doing things are wrong. They're absolutely not. You know, as I said, nose work goes into everything that I do. But what we're doing is we're saying, right, our dogs have this amazing superpower. It's how we, we process the world. I don't process the world that way. And we don't do this intentionally, but I don't process the world that way. So we are going to work on conditioning via sight and we're going to work on, you know, you see dog, you get fed um, or movement means that, or whatever. And all completely valid and stuff I do, but I'm losing 60, 50% of, of a powerful tool that I could be using to teach those dogs how to do these things and how to be more confident and comfortable and happy. So let's use it for anything because they can do it. Yeah. And I think that's really cool because, again, probably a human trait more than anything else, but we do try and look for these silver bullets and these ultimate solutions. And there's one thing that will will span all all ills and all training and all behavior and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think that's a very human-driven kind of perspective where, like you say, actually what we're, what we're really doing is using a cocktail of things that are benefiting not only the, the dog that's right in front of us and their particular traits and personalities, but again, from a, a sensory perspective and a um, kind of biomechanical and biological perspective with those animals, we're, we're trying to, like you say, tap into all aspects so that we can have the the best kind of most well-rounded chance of whatever it is that we're working on and, and getting the most out of it. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I, th- I think that to, in order to lean into something, um, we ha- I think the, the focus is on trying to understand it. We try and understand it too much. And that's important that we do, but also make use of it while you've got it. I remember um, I worked with a standard poodle and a standard poodle had bitten five people. This is, this is the only thing I did with him, by the way. We didn't do any behavior stuff because he lived a little bit further afield, but he came for some man training. Um, and I, I did his hides. I did his um, trails for him. So I, the way that man training works, basically, 
a um, little bit different than the other things. So most scent work and tracking is the hider will either go and pop a hideout or lay an article in a track. So it'll be something that smells like them. If it's tracking, it'll be the target scent like clothes for scent work. Yeah, yeah. We'll go lay, drop it, and then leave the area. Man trailing is a little bit different. Man trailing works by something called match to sample. So that is where the dog will sniff the article that has been left by the person and based off of that, go and find the person. Yeah. Right. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. So for example, um, if you were going to do it with Hugo and I said, Greg, shake my hand when we were allowed to do that. Um, and you shook my hand and I ran off and I said goodbye and I disappeared. When Hugo got good enough, you could ask him to sniff your hand and find me based off the scent of me on your hand. Right. So that, that's how complex it can get. Uh, but don't, you know, don't worry about it. Anyway, um, this dog was never met me before, did a trail. And man trailing is the most intense of dog sport or nose work sports, right? It's go, go, go. It's literally to start with, it's called a runaway. You wind the dog up, you run away, you hide behind a bush that they can still see you at, let's be honest. And they go, right, I'm charging after the guy who's taken my favorite food ever, which for some dogs is quavers or fish or whatever. They rugby tackle, usually Labradors that end with me on the ground, but it's fine. <laughs> Flat on my back, big cuddle, big party, food. And they go, God, I love this game. Um, this, and keep in mind, this is a dog with a bite risk. He did it on a muzzle, but this is a dog who's bitten five people, doesn't like men. By the end of, we did three trails with him. By the end of that, um, I could throw food to him and he'd take it off the floor. And then by the end of that, he came up to me and I went and I had a treat. And I was like, do you want it? <laughs> do you want it? And he took it. And then he went off and we went back. And we, and... You know, you talk about that kind of silver bullet, that quick fix. I don't want to claim that nose work is a quick fix, but it is the quickest way that I found to deal with things like that. Not completely. Or I didn't say he didn't go. But it was like, I love men now and throw himself <laughs> at every man. But the change in an hour that he received from that um, being a bite risk was astronomical. Uh, man trailing, especially for people, for anxiety around people um, is phenomenal because I've had dogs again. Uh, one of my longest students, actually. Lovely little schnauzer. I wouldn't go near people. So when she first started man trailing, what she would do, she'd find someone, but she'd stand like 10 feet away and go, they're there. I'm not going anywhere closer. And we went, okay, <laughs> whatever. Here's your food and she whatever. And then, but just based off of that stuff, um, in other classes, she randomly would just be chilling. And then she'd spot someone and she'd go up and she'd jump up at them and say hi. And we were like, oh. And we tried to figure out the crux of it. Have you been doing more, you know, conditioning? What have you been doing life skills? And, and we couldn't figure it out. And then we did another man training session. She rugby, rugby tackled her. She was tiny. Um, she chased <laughs> after someone and then jumped at them. It's like, give me the food. And we went, oh, okay, right. So that, that, okay. Um, but again, we don't process it. So yeah. we were looking for the more visual stuff that we'd done even. Um, but yeah, so it's amazing how powerful something can be, whether you understand it or not. And it's amazing how life-changing it can be by just doing something as simple as hiding a bit of food genuinely like you know again we go back to that thing don't we where we talk about simplicity and we're banging on about finding missing people and me shaking your hand going on that and that's the <laughs> complex stuff if you're a massive nerd and you go this sounds amazing that's how good your dog can get yeah. but you don't need to be that you can achieve similar results by going i'm going to find food or a toy in the environment in the garden in your house and go from there that's awesome it's probably a bit of a tangent here but something came into my mind just as you were talking there about um so I, we used to have um, another Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. He he got a bit old. He got a bit of doggy dementia. And one of the first tips I got from, I can't remember who it was now, sadly, um, was the use of smells around key parts of the house to help him 
with that kind of as is obviously you know kind of things weren't quite firing the same way as they used to so very quickly we we got some dog safe kind of I forget what they call now, oil essence or smells, whatever they are. Um, and certain things like where his water dish was, where his food dish was, where the back door was, where the stairs were, all these kind of key points where his bed was. We had to start kind of dropping a, the specific scent for that specific thing. Um, and I, I, my understanding of this, and you can absolutely shoot it down, <laughs> so I'm way off the mark here, but was kind of ideally introducing it before he got to a point where kind of some of his cognitive abilities had, had, had were kind of, not as strong as the ones were so that as things weren't working as well as before for him, whether that was his, his eyesight or whether it was kind of neurological, the, the power of the smell was still really strong for him. So he'd have these moments blessing where we, we used to call him the lost lamb and he kind of just stand and look a little bit kind of like, almost like he'd forgot where he was. Sure. But then all of a sudden he'd have this kind of almost light bulb moment of, Oh yeah, I wanted the toilet. And he'd just beeline straight to where the back door was and then Brilliant. come in and water. And really similar thing. And again, I don't know whether this was just a pure placebo thing for me as a human and kind of this was really working. Um, but we've already started it with our old Cavi because um, she's 12 and a half now and, you know, planning for the future. Um, but just starting to build these things of these certain smells in the house are where these things are. So if your eyesight starts to go or whatever mm. it might be, hopefully you can use your nose and you can know that, you know, the whatever the smell is that we've chosen for that area is where you go to find your water or to find your food or whatever it is. And it's even applications like that kind of start to blow my mind a little bit when I started to get kind of read into this and, you know, speak to people like yourselves who've got amazing knowledge about it and go like, it is, it's just an untapped resource that for a lot of us, we don't, we just, as like you say, we don't think about because it's not how we're wired. However, starting to just scratch the surface of it can, uh, can be, phenomenal really it's uh it's such an amazing world to to understand yeah you know I, I think that's a lovely example that you've just given of using it in a in a way that is isn't necessarily about training and isn't about trying to change an association just living um yeah i think i think that's really cool and i think that you know when you when we view when we view nose work, when we view our dog's nose as their most powerful tool and we reshape our brains to start working like that, everything else becomes a lot clearer. Um, I know from experience that, uh, and seeing, you know, seeing all these dogs working is that dogs, when they're really using their nose, aren't using their eyes. So one of the first um, scent work experiences I ever had uh, was my golden retriever called Rafi. And uh, he was doing a type of scent work where he was looking for catnip scented mice. So it's a big, basically you get like toy mice from Ikea. It wasn't actual mice. I should have said that um, <laughs> from Ikea. And I remember there was this big grid and the mouse and the mouse is pretty big, right? Like it's, it wasn't tiny. And I remember we popped it in um, this, the middle of this grid and we, and we queued him to search it. And he was searching, he was working that grid. And had he used his eyes, would have been very easy for him to have found it. It wasn't hard. I could see it from the distance, but because he was using his nose and using that source, he was looking for the scent of the catnip. So actually he didn't find it until he literally, and you see this in some dogs where they will be working an area, working a hide, and they'll literally get their nose over where it is and they'll go, oh, it's there. And then they keep going for a second, then go, it's there. And then they'll rush back in it and kind of indicate on it. So it, yeah, I mean, I, I just love it. I just absolutely adore it because the applications of it in any context, you know, that context there I thought was lovely because it's all good talking about training and day-to-day -day life, but having, having that as a tool in your toolbox, I can imagine greatly helps your cavalier 
in the, in those yeah. years where he, you know like he can move around and yeah yeah well I certainly hope so like I said it's uh it's, it's certainly early days with Lucy but it's uh with Merlin yet yeah, again dare I say we were probably maybe slightly late to that party but I think there was definitely a it felt or uh, my observations were it looked like it helped like I say obviously I can't see it in terms of the sound sure. and I can't see what was going on in his brain but it was uh it definitely felt like it was starting to do something for him which is why like I say we we very quickly kind of adopted it with with her because it's it was just one of those things where I think even worst case that happens is I've got a few nice little smelling oils around my house. Yeah, that, sure. That's kind of, it's no bad thing, but if it is genuinely kind of helping them orientate a little bit as, as, as you know, and Lucy's, I think I say will probably be one of her things. I think that will probably sense wise, it'll be one of the first to go. Um, then for me, that's, that's amazing. So she can navigate the house as long as I don't start putting obstacles in her way. Um, you know, that's, that's going to hopefully help her out, help her out massively, but just, that last little point there about how dogs search and see it again, probably the geeky side of the dog trainer in me, but even silly things like when I scatter feed, I'm absolutely fascinated watching them kind of, I know where it is because I saw where it land, uh, where it landed, I should say, but seeing them just suddenly kind of in that, I call it that truffle mode, that real kind of north yeah, yeah. in working through the grass and you can, how they kind of, the patterns that they kind of draw with the nose, whether they're circular or squares or crisscrosses and, and as they get closer and closer, like you said, the amount of times I do watch them kind of pass over it and then do that double take of, no, hang on a sec, definitely stronger back there. It was, uh, yeah, and again, just even my novice brain, it's it's absolutely fascinating to watch. It really does. Uh, I keep looking down. I know it's a podcast and people can't see where I'm going. <laughs> I've got Hugo laying next to me and it's, uh, yeah, I'm kind of sat there going, oh, all the things we can all do. All these things. It's, uh, it could be fab. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack, one thing um, we, we, we've kind of touched on a few times and I just thought I'd try and kind of make it really clear to the listeners is sure. the applications of Nose work in terms of some of the titles or the things people might see from local clubs or classes or trainers. So you mentioned man trailing was, was one. Yeah, yeah. So the, the types of the types of titles that you're most commonly going to get are going to be scent work, tracking and man trailing. Yeah. So scent work is like drug detection stuff so it would be the case of most people do it in a hall um you would have boxes or you would have different things for your dogs to search you would they tend to do it off lead you let them off lead you let them into the room it's independent they go and they find a hide and do their indication which tends to be a sit a down or a freeze uh tracking is following human scent to find an end article so this would be in a field or woodland tends to be your trail layer or track layer excuse me would walk out walk a specific direction pop the hide out and go as far out as possible. The point of tracking is the idea is that they follow the footsteps exactly. Yeah, so it's a real precision-based sport. Not completely, it doesn't matter, but that's the end goal is that they follow it precisely. Um, Man trailing is on lead search and rescue, as I've already touched on. So it's the idea that the dog, based off the scent of something they have left behind, tends to be a glove or an item of clothing, they then go and locate and find a person. So those tend to be the three most common types of nose work that you're going to get um gun dog stuff is also technically nose work they have nose work elements as well but those are kind of the three most common ones that are, you know i'm sure if you look to your local town for local clubs or whatever they would have stuff like scent work or whatever there are also different t- competitions so the main competitions man trading don't have competitions they have levels that you can apply to do okay. um tracking don't have that it depends what type of tracking you do. So without going really specific into it, because it is irrelevant, some working trials have tracking. So if you did working trials, there'd be a type of tracking and things like that. But 
there are some levels for tracking as well. Scent work, there's a plethora of scent work competitions and scent work organizations you can work through. Big one is Scent Work UK, that's who I do competitions with. Um, and you can do those either in person or you could do those in person also online. So they have different levels as well. So for example, if you sat there with Hugo and you went, right, I'm gonna compete <laughs> on it. Um, they, they have specific scents they use. So they use cloves um, to start with uh, six months worth of training you would be able to theoretically go and compete with them. So, and that's the other cool thing about Scentmark is that we view competitions as this really intense trying to beat everyone else and all this, but actually the best competition, if you're, if you're that way inclined, you might not be, but that best type of competition is um, the one against yourself because Scentwork, the, the difference between a first place and a fifth place, as an example, can be a point. Right of how specific it can get so it depends if you're really nerdy um but yeah so th those are kind of the competitions and the different titles that you can get but it, it you know as i said if if you're sat then you guys want to make do it really constructively go and do that but again hiding a toy or food is is just going to get you the same results as what you're probably aiming to do or yeah that's all and i think that's a, a really nice point you touched on there is about that kind of because a, a lot of certainly with with kind of you know the people i work with one of the things we usually do is you kind of open that door to something like um a dog sport agility or hoopers or whatever it might be and then that person might get really like really like it their dog might really enjoy it so they do start to go down those more active participation routes and then that may lead to competitions and things like that and it's it's very easy for certain aspects of those things like you said to become more about you and your dog against other competitors or whatever it might be but to 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 see in certain in some of the nose work elements that you've talked about there that the the competition is really kind of the environment or the type of search or whatever mm -hmm. it is that rather than it being necessarily you and another person yeah. it's more about that advancement of the complexity that you've of work that you're doing with your dog it's a very solitary sport and i don't mean that in a bad way i mean you know you go to agility shows and there's, there's hundreds of people and it's all this stuff but scent work practice is go on a walk with your dog take a scented article go and pop a hideout and cue your dog to find it. Or tracking, go and lay a track and do the trap with your dog. Man trailing, go on a walk with a partner or a friend. Say, right, this is going to be really weird. Take this, run off, drop that. I'll see you in an hour or whatever it is. And they go and they do that. So I train all the dogs that I work with to competition standard just because I like all I like us to have a name. Yeah, yeah. Um, because the, the results, as we've talked about, are astronomical. But sometimes it you know it's easy to when you have a goal to work towards you don't realize everything else that's going on around you that might be the actual point yeah, yeah. um so having that goal of you know i want to i want to i run my own levels as well for my students so we'll have like a mini competition or mini trial or whatever um and being able to go huh you know what six weeks into this course um your dog will now go in the kitchen which is a common one weirdly um you know it was comfortable searching in the kitchen or wow you did that outside and you said your dog wouldn't be able to focus on anything intensely outside or wow you know what your dog's dog reacted but hang on a minute there's another dog over there and they're still searching or all of these things that we just go oh because in the exact same way that dogs will look and they, they struggle with fixation things like that we fixate on things too yeah. so you know as as you know Active dog owners and anyone with anxious dog will know you sit there and you think about your dog and you go oh my god i've got to do this that and the other or even like an adolescent or puppy you know let's be honest not to the same extent but you go oh my god i've got to get my puppy socialized i've got to do this that and the other and oh my god my dog has stolen another person's sandwich and oh my god and everything's so <laughs> intense and everything's so working towards a better life in terms of training it's all about you know and stuff like that whereas 
scent work is a good distraction because what all of those things that I've just said, it's going to help anyway. Yeah. In the exact same way that everything grays out for the dog, everything grays out for you. And you were just having fun with your dog doing stuff. And then out of nowhere, you've then stood in a dog park and done a little search with your dog and there's dogs everywhere. And you've not panicked. And you go, oh, God. Or your puppy, who you definitely said would not cope in the presence of people and you don't understand because he's really excitable, he just won't do it, has done it. Or that adolescent dog who got really going to jump at you and he's going to be a pain he's going to oh my god he's going to rip your clothes and all that stuff does a track and they go oh they go yeah and they feel better too so everyone feels better i feel better because i get to teach it they feel better because their dog is doing something that is so cool because it's helping with what they're actually stressing about without working on it if that makes sense and the dog loves it because they've got a nose they can do it it's constructive everything grays out positive association um and then we all have a big party (laughs) this is what my nose red glasses are (laughs) basically so any, any excuse for a party, particularly in current circumstances, Absolutely. I think is definitely a good thing. It's, uh, I've got a totally other random question for you, Jack, and I don't know if you can answer sure. this at all, but uh, um, I, I don't even know if this is an old wives' tale or not, but am I right in saying, so man-trailing scent work, you're, you're effectively seeking a particular scent. Am I right in saying that tracking is the disturbance of things that the dog tracks? Or am I just completely making this up? Because I can't remember if I saw it on a police show or whatever, but it was... Whether that was the case, because it's kind of like it's when you think of somebody tracking somebody, you think you're again, you think they're smelling the person that they're chasing after. And then somebody told me one day that no, actually, it's the disturbance of the ground or whatever it is that that, that actually the dog picks up on and it follows the disturbances rather than the, 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 the you know, the person or whatever it is that they've gone after. So we're tracking, and that's a good point because that's something I didn't touch on. So we're tracking it is um, human scent paired with ground disturbance is the combination of things that they're looking for. Okay. Because obviously if you had a dog who just looked for human sense, so a lot of search and rescue dogs, for example, are trained to find any person. So in America, um, they clear areas out when there's missing people because the dog would go in and be like, it's you. They don't (laughs) find specific people. Um, So yeah, no, you're quite right. So it's ground disturbance paired with human scent. Um, They're not entirely sure what type of human scent they used to think it was skin rafts which were like tiny microscopic flecks of skin that fall off the human body at like fifty thousand per minute or something like that um but they now think it's a type of sweat oh right it's a specific kind of chemical compound within the sweat because nerdy right um but no you're quite right so uh, that's what they find for tracking scent work is scent and man trailing is they use their nose to locate based off the scent of an article they then go and use that to find the big amount of scent of the person um other distinction while we're on the topic of distinctions um is that tracking and man trailing use two different types of scenting so tracking is ground scenting so nose on the ground tracking um man trailing is air scenting oh right oh well um so there's a there's a point that people make which is that a tracking dog makes a great man trailing dog a man trailing dog does not make a great tracking dog so the idea behind it is that you man trailing dogs can use air scenting and tracking to find someone yeah but um if you and this is a competition thing as well but tracking is meant to be theoretically defined as nose on the ground so obviously if the dog's switching between the two nose goes up to air scent and tracking that's not defined as tracking so if you sat there and said i wanted to compete in tracking you probably want to avoid man trailing and air scenting um but if you wanted to go the other route 
you know, you're absolutely fine, uh, which you might hear as you get deeper into the world. Uh, one of the one of those things. But it doesn't matter. I mean, who cares? Like at the end of the day, getting your dog to use their nose is the most important thing. I don't care if they're doing backflips while scenting. It doesn't matter. Like, provided they're having a good time. <laughs> and, uh, again, I think it just shows you how easy it is to just kind of go down those rabbit holes with, with you know, oh, God, yeah. already because the part of the world I live in, um, Durham, which is a city not far from me, um, they were doing the kind of COVID detection dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and just picking up on you think about the kind of sweat and that kind of thing and yeah just like you just see all these various different things and um i, c- I can't remember who it was now i think it was um is it melissa McHugh mcgrath who has um a, a podcast and one of the stories there was about a, a dog that helped find people lost in water um and the dog was scared of water but it would go on the boat and they would yeah. do the patterns with the boat and the dog would be able to find you know, yeah. sadly bodies but you know, kind of meters and meters below water, and that. The more you read about scent work with dogs, the more it just blows your mind of the, you know, kind of how far it can go. But like you say, it's very easy to get fixated on that and think, "Oh my god, my dog will never do that." And like you say, in reality, finding food or a toy in the house is just as beneficial for them as it is. Yeah. You know, like you say, finding somebody lost in the woods or the mountains. I mean, when when you think about the type of things that dogs have been trained to detect, you know, cancer, um, you know, medical detection dog, epileptic alerts, low blood sugar levels, diabetes, so many different things. And then you go, you know, you move away from people. They're they're trained to find specific scat of specific um, animals to locate their their patterns. Um, they're trained to find specific animals full stop. You know, there's um there's quite a few bat detection dogs. Are in this country i think down here in dorset there was a thing where the council were going to demolish a, a barn or something and the, these dogs they brought in these bat detection dogs and they found these rare bats or whatever and they said no you can't um one of my students works in land development and they had newt dogs newt detection dogs in to go and find some newts and stuff so but what but what's really important is that when you when you actually take a look at how they were trained and you narrow it down to those very very early stages the only difference is, I don't know what specific they trained to find those nudes, like what scent, you know, what, what aspect of it. But <laughs> there's not a difference between you hiding a bit of cheese and someone hiding nude poo, you know, like there isn't a difference. It's all the same concept. It's scent work is built on nose work in general is built on the same foundations. Yeah. So don't sit there and go, oh, my God, my dog's never going to be able to go and find a missing person. That's fine. Like they don't have to. Oh, my dog's never going to be able to find cocaine. Well, I'd hope they'd never be in a situation where they do have to find cocaine. But you can still train them the same way and get those results. The only difference is they're not finding cocaine, they're finding food or clothes or a toy or whatever. And it's, yeah, and, and that's the key thing, is it? It's just about kind of just starting to to use that primary sense that they've got and, and giving them that outlet. And like you say, the benefits are, are massive, whether it's just a nice way to to enrich your dog's brain a little bit and tire them out. Or like you say, whether it's to help them with behavioral issues or whether it is, like you say, to go on and compete and get really, really geeky and nerdy about a particular topic. Like you say, it's horses for courses, as I say, so you can take it as far as you want. Absolutely. Uh, the, it's, it's it, you know, you could, you can, you can take it as far as you want. There, there isn't a limitation to it. The only limitation is time. And by when I say time, I mean, I want to do nose work all the time every day, but unfortunately I cannot um, because nose work as, as a concept, once you get into the habit and routine, even the most complex stuff that I do with my students in class, two minutes preparation time, you know, something like that. It's not, not like at most um, when you're doing tracking, the preparation time is going for a walk and laying an article, but we walk our dogs all the time. So if you don't mid the way through a dog walk, you know, so yeah, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, and if, if you were teaching your dog to find cheese 
or you'll teach your dog to find cocaine or you'll teach your dog to find missing people, whatever it is you're teaching your dog to find, provided it's legal, um, then you're doing your dog a good job. You're doing a good job with them um, because tapping into it in any way, for whatever your reason is, any of the 30 billion that you might have, the benefits are going to far outweigh. There are no cons, I don't think, but the benefits are going to far outweigh everything that you're trying to, you are, I can't speak. I'm so excited. No, the I'm benefits right. outweigh <laughs> everything that anything else. So go ahead and do it, please. That's awesome. Uh, Jack, it's been absolutely awesome talking to you and, and learning uh, more about this. And like you say, it's just, uh, it's wetting the appetite to kind of go and start researching more stuff and things I can do with my own dogs, which uh, which I'm thinking there's a whole world there that they're potentially missing out on. Um, where can people find more about you, Jack? so you can find me on facebook at jack fenton dash the dorset dog trainer uh, i post a lot of dog training stuff i post a lot of training videos as well um, about kevin uh my french bulldog uh and havana who we'll talk about in a little bit um i am also going to be opening up a public nose work group as well which will be very very exciting where people can join and just ask questions and we can all talk about nose work um that's not up yet but i'll, I'll ping that over to you greg when uh when we need to kind of pop that um you can also find me on youtube uh, so my YouTube channel is the Dorset Dog Trainer. Where I post a bunch of general dog training stuff, but I've started a new project, which I'm actually very, very excited about and ties in somewhat to what we've talked about. So uh, my family have recently got a Labrador puppy called Havana. Um, and I am a big believer in documentation. So what I like to do is I like to take something, a, a concept and see how it's done step by step. And so the challenge that I've undertaken with her um, from about 10 weeks old um, is that I have done a little video under five minutes every single day of the training sessions that we have done right. so it covers pretty much every i, I won't say every 95 percent. i'll say uh just in case i go back on it but 95 percent <laughs> of everything that i have ever done with her has been videoed so wow. you see progression so um as a little tiny little tangent but good for what we've been talking about and um, when she first came she was arguably the world's worst labrador so she wasn't foodie she wasn't a big fan of people and she wouldn't use her nose. Now you imagine little old me being like, oh, a Labrador, awesome. I'm going to do nose work with this one. And she'd be like, I'd throw food on the floor and she'd just look at me. And I'm like... Definitely the right dog for the year. Uh, Definitely the, the right dog for the year, right? Um, and in three weeks, I'm, I'm three weeks ahead at the time of recording this. Um, she is now uh, searching for human scent on a coin. And all I have done with her, touch with genuinely, is the basic puppy stuff, loose lead walking recall. Um pause up and nose work that's it those are the four things i've done with her consistently and toy play sorry as well um and her confidence has grown exponentially just by doing that so you'll be able to see in the videos you've got this little puppy who is a little bit hesitant coming towards me and isn't really fussed by throwing food or scattered food and is a little bit like oh and i've got literally the very first indication session i do with her in in that first video up to now so oh. if you're interested in nose work and interested in seeing the process i've got and i'll keep doing this from that first day that I did it, first ever session I did with her with a coin um, to where she is now. Um, and we're doing little tracks now and we're doing all these different things. But when she, where she's going to be in a year is going to be so interesting and so fascinating um, yeah. because where she is in three weeks, it's like, you know, pre-recorded. So they will go out and there's like a three week delay. Um, it's going to be awesome. So if you're interested in seeing how to train a puppy, the sessions that go into it uh, and how to train a nose work dog too. Cause that, that's one of my goals for her is to do it. Um, whether if, you know, if she's, if she's that way inclined, I'm not going to force her to compete if she's not, you know, that way, but yeah, yeah, of course. 
um, then that you just call Raising Havana. So an episode of that goes up daily under five minutes. You can have it with your tea or your dinner, whatever you're doing, um, and you can just watch it. And yeah, so that that's me. That that sounds amazing, particularly and and not to dwell on other topics like lockdown puppies and everything else. But that a a phenomenal project. That sounds amazing. And I, I'm uh, how many episodes are up at the minute? Just, just watch. So I literally oh. posted the introduction <laughs> yesterday. So um, the the official episodes will start in a few days because I've got um, I've got the first two weeks, which is a little wrap up of what we covered, um, and then the proper episodes start going up. But yeah, I mean, give it. You know, if you leave it a month. You'll have a month's worth of stuff to watch. So, uh, yeah, but, uh, uh, I might have to watch it as we go here. I might have to play along. Do it, buddy. Do it's, it. Uh, and, and is that on YouTube, is it, Jack? Yeah, that's on YouTube. So all of the videos will be posted to YouTube. I'll post different ones to my Facebook page as well. But the main archive where you're going to be able to find them, there'll be a playlist on my channel is YouTube, yeah. Amazing. I'm definitely going to check that out. And to be fair, who doesn't love videos of puppies anyway? So Absolutely. Regardless of the educational content, it'll just be cute to watch as I, uh, if I have my morning coffee. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it, that's that's be a brilliant. I can't wait to uh, to to watch that, and I can just see Kevin just peeking his uh, his little ears over, <laughs> as well, which is uh, quite nice to see. Yeah. But yeah, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come and talk to us on the Wolf and Porson podcast. This has been uh, a real pleasure, and I no doubt we'll have you back in the future for for more things and um, definitely a Havana update if you're up for that as, uh, as as the weeks and months pass on. But it's uh, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you very much, and look forward to coming back again soon. Excellent. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening to the Woofing Porson podcast. As always, if you do want to get in touch, you can find us on social media. I'm at Great Pause NE, which is Great Pause NE for Northeast, on both Facebook and Instagram. You can also contact me via my website, which is greatpause.co.uk. And you can also consume some free online courses at greatpausegang.co.uk. Excellent. Thank you very much, folks. And we will see you soon for our next episode.